Good morning. Happy Labor Day weekend to you. We're thrilled that you've come to be with us because we know that this typically is sort of the summer's last hurrah. And there are folks uh, that have, have taken time to be with their families, and we, we pray protection blessing upon them. Those of you that are in town, we're so grateful that you've come to join us and be with us. If you're a guest today, it's your first time, we welcome you to Victory. My, my name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory, and we are thrilled to have you. Let me just say, if you're a first-time guest, I want to apologize on the front that the first time that you show up at Victory and I'm preaching on finances. We, we, we don't do this, but about every couple of years, we, we make a big emphasis in our foundations class, teaching people the importance of giving, and then we'll do a little 30-second, one-minute maximum blurb at the end of each service just to sort of announce our worship time and our giving. And so that's really all we ever have to say about finances. At the, at the very most, it's not even been an average of once a year. The last time I did was two years ago. And so I just want to say that we're going to do this three-part series starting today. The next three Sundays, we're going to be talking about dollars and cents. And uh, it's, it's obvious, I don't have to point it out, we're, we're making a play on the fact that it's not just money, but it's having some common sense about how you utilize your resources and manage your funds. Uh, because as, as the announcer said, uh, folks don't realize it, but actually Jesus talked more about money and economics and resource management than he did prayer. He actually talked more about money than he did heaven and hell. Those issues that are obviously very, very critical. And, and I, I think the reason being is the content of what we're going to be sharing in this message today. And we'll get to that and, and ask the question, why would Jesus talk that much about it? And let me just say... This is not going to be the typical TV preacher motivation for, uh, it always comes from two avenues. It's either guilt you should give because of these little fly-encrusted babies uh, need to have water to drink in Africa, and I'm not making fun of that, but they really play on your sympathy and on your emotions. And then the other side is not guilt, but it's greed. It's, it's, it is, okay, if you'll give God 100, he'll give you 10,000. And it's, it's, it's really kind of God becomes a slot machine. And so our... Our view of, of giving is not about guilt or about greed, but it's about grace. And it's the fact that God has graced every one of us. And from that place, there, there, is, no, there is no compulsion. There is no obligation. There is no place of, of you feel like you're having your arm spiritually twisted by the pastor or, or a, a slick announcer or something like that to do something that you may not be capable of doing at this moment in time in your life or may, you know, may not feel led. Uh, we want to talk about some of these things as we approach this series. This weekend is Labor Day. We've been celebrating in America Labor Day since the 1880s. Before it became a national event, it actually began in New York City in 1882. September the 5th was on a Tuesday, and it was because of the rise of the labor unions um, in the, what was termed the Industrial Revolution. We, we had great capitalist uh, visionaries like John D. Rockefeller, who, who, who founded Standard Oil and really got the whole oil business going in uh, North America, coal oil first, uh, and then gasoline, petroleum, all those kinds of things. Uh, Vanderbilt, George Vanderbilt with the railroads, uh, Carnegie with steel production, Mellon, J.P. Morgan, who was, we, we think of uh, <coughs> Chase, Ma Ma Chase Morgan Bank. And so you, you hear about these tycoons, these robber barons who had great vision. And if you're a history person at all, and I don't apologize, I, I love history. I think history is redemptive, especially when we put on a set of glasses and we see the work and the hand of God providentially moving and working through history. 
And if you've ever seen any of those History Channel, The Men Who Built America, these are the names that I've just mentioned. And, and I, the Industrial Revolution is one of my favorite times to teach in the American history class that I teach. Uh, but but that we came to the realization that as powerful as these movers and shakers, these capitalists were, that they didn't do this by themselves. They didn't build great bridges and erect great steel structures and connect the America via the railroad and then power it through petroleum without the everyday, ordinary, waged-based, hard-working, American, rugged, individualist, pick-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps, which, by the way, is not a biblical idea, but that whole American spirit of digging in and just grit and grind. And so Labor Day was set aside for the purpose of recognizing that the greatness of America was built by ordinary people. Can, can you say amen to that? Because we're a congregation of ordinary people. There's nobody here that could really be termed rich, although that every one of us are overflowing with riches in Christ. Uh, but, it, but in terms of how the world would measure that, uh, we, we're, we're just ordinary folk. We're just an ordinary congregation of people that are attempting to learn what it means to put Jesus first and to be gospel-centered driven, to be kingdom-oriented in our view of what we're doing. And that means really having a, a, a gospel-driven understanding of our work. Sometimes in America the last number of years, we've really sort of slacked off from what began the greatness of America in the 1600s. And that's what Max Weber, the economist, referred to as the Puritan work ethic. And it was the idea that they worked like it all depended on them and they prayed like it all depended on God. And that is a very good biblical approach to uh, your life, your business. You work hard and you trust God. Those are not opposing ideas at all. They are complementary ideas. You do everything you can and you trust God to do what you can't. Are you hearing me? Uh, because sometimes the ideas about faith and work seem to uh, sort of a little bit conflict and, and folk think that if they're really walking in the favor of God, they won't have to do any labor. How many of you know God blesses your labor with his favor? Are you hearing me? Okay. So this morning, as we kick into this, um, this Labor Day beginning series, we're going to be talking about the purpose of work and redeeming that because really... Uh, work and the, the American idea in the last 30, 40 years and really the good, solid biblical idea are two different, two different ideas. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me one more time. And we're going to find a screen. We're going to read our text, our text for this three-part series. Uh, the title of the message today is called Seven Holes in the Money Bag. Uh, how many of you uh, have ever had something that you've saved money in and then found out that it was leaking out? Any of you ever feel like you, your piggy bank's broke? Uh, any of you ever feel like that you're putting your money into bags with holes in it? Any, anybody feel like, come on, let's get real. I do, I do. Uh, I'm going, man, I've just got all this saved up, and then boom, the air conditioner in the car breaks, and, and the air conditioner in the house breaks, and then I'm going, okay, Lord, have mercy. Uh, you know, what, what, what are we going to do here? Seven holes in the money bag. Okay, so let's, let's find the screen. Here we go. This one verse is our series text. We will read this every Sunday. This is the scripture. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now, you've heard it in King James. Wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But I love the New Living Translation here because it helps magnify it a little bit. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Okay, so read that with me one more time. Here we go. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Okay, so we're going to talk about that. Then we've got 
a message text for today. We're going to go to the Old Testament book of Haggai. Haggai is a two-chapter book found over in those little bitty tiny prophets that are all two or three, four chapters apiece. And it's after they've come back from uh, having been taken into captivity into Babylon and now they're returning and they're rebuilding Israel. Okay, so let's roll into, here we go, reading from the NLT. Now let me give you a little background. Everybody's living in great houses. As a matter of fact, when you read the whole 15 or 16 verses, I'm not going to take time to read this morning. The scripture says, the prophet says, you've all got your sealed houses, C-E-I-L-E-D. In other words, they're living in homes that are pretty nice and they're sealed. And so they're, they're, they're protected from the elements. Now, we break in and this is what the prophet Haggai is saying to Israel. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. Look at your neighbor right now and say, consider your ways. That's what the other translation says. Consider your ways, okay? Because he's saying what's happening to you is tied up with the way you're living, okay? Read out loud with me. You have planted much but harvest little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes, Read on. Here we go. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. Now say it with me one more time. Consider your ways. Let's pray. God, help us this morning as we approach this subject. Lord, I ask you just for our guests that are here today that, that they would uh, just be patient with us in their first time to come and finances being the topic of discussion. God, thank you that you show us that you truly in your word care about every aspect of our lives. And the gospel is more than just a heaven-hell issue, but it speaks to every part of our lives so that we can learn how to be grace-driven and motivated, that we can learn how to trust you with all of our hearts. Even as Bernie sang his original song this morning, I surrender to you, Lord. God, show us what it means to surrender our calendars and our checkbooks and our our, our, our day planners, Lord, and all the stuff that we do to, to put you first in our lives. We'll be careful to give you the praise. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen. you may be seated together this morning in the presence of the Lord. Now, the NLT says you get your wages, but it's like you're putting them in pockets that are filled with holes. King James, ESV, English Standard Version both say in bags filled with holes. And so the title of the message today is Seven Holes in the Money Bag. And um, I'm going to bring to you seven things that I'm going to really take anywhere from three to five minutes a piece on. Before I do, I, I have a video that I'm, we're going to bring the lights down. And, and I want you to pay attention because we're going to be talking about dollars and cents for these next three weeks. And we've asked the question of some folks in our congregation who are ordinary people like you are, but have proven what it means to put their trust in God, to obey the Lord in their tithing. And so we're asking the question, how much sense does it make to tithe? If you would, watch this three-minute video. When it comes to tithing and what I think about tithing, I actually 
don't give it much thought. It's become second nature. It's become part of who I am. So it makes all the sense in the world. It's, uh, it's like, call it a sixth sense maybe. Uh, tithing all starts and giving it all starts with what, you know, God first gave to me. And, um, and I think about how hard that was for him, what he did give, which is his son Jesus, who, who, um, who gave me everything. Uh, when, I, when I first had a child and I, real, I realized the love between a father and a child, I started you know, thinking about, you know, I want this child to be raised right and I knew I was gonna have to do some, make some tough decisions. I can't just give them everything they want. Um, and the old saying, this hurts me more than it does you. And when I, when I think about that, I think about how, you always think about how painful it was for Jesus, but a lot of people don't think about how painful it was for the Father also. I mean, would I give my, you know, if ISIS was coming in here and I knew I could give my child up for the, to, to benefit them, you think I'd, I'd, I'd gladly do that? But that's what God did for me. And, and it's, I just can't imagine trying to hold anything back from God that I can offer him. And, you know, we're taught, and it, it talks about in the Bible that you will, you know, if you give, you will receive. You, you, you know, you sow, you reap. Um, but I don't give, you know, I don't give to get. I've already got everything. He's gave me, he gave to me first. It comes back sometimes as a monetary blessing. It's, some, it, it's, it's always a spiritual blessing and keeps me at peace. And um, I used to pray for, um, you know, I always said I could, you know, I could put, I, as long as I got Jesus, I could deal with anything. I, but I would pray, I said, take everything, but don't take the girl, like, kind of like uh, Tim McGraw. I'd say, don't take my girls. You know, <laughs> I could, I could do, take everything else, take all the money, take everything, but just, you know, keep my family intact. But I know, you know, but he didn't. He didn't keep his family intact. He gave, he gave it willingly, and Jesus suffered willingly. And, and to think he did that for, you know, a sorry person like me is, is just beyond belief. With, it's not like paying taxes where you're, you're constantly trying to figure, do the math and figure out how little you can give. But I believe some people do that with tithing. It's like, how can, you know, how can I keep as much of it as I can? I'm wondering how I can make more to give more. Wow. But like the story of the parable of the talents, you know, he gave to three different guys and two of them invested and had more when the, when the guy came back and one just buried it and gave him back what he had. And, uh, and I believe that, you know, if you use what God gives you, and, and turn it, he'll, he'll, he encourages you, he'll give you the ability to make it into something more. Yes. Thank you, Darren, that was tremendous. And there actually is about 18 minutes of material. If you'd like to see the whole story, check out our YouTube channel, My Victory TV. And you can see all 18 minutes of it. Darren really goes into some detail. And so we want to just give you about a three-minute clip of that. Um, thank you again. Uh, as we look to today, we've got seven holes in the money bag. And I want to just jump right into this. Uh, because basically, the prophet is saying, guys, you've really put your attention on yourselves and renovating fine homes and having all of the stuff and all of the materialistic aspects of having returned, and yes, it's a great day, it's time to celebrate. And let me just say, God does not have a problem with us being blessed and having nice things, but there is a problem when that's our sole focus and we forget about the things of God. 
Okay, So I'm, I'm trying to bring it from a balanced perspective here. There is none of this shaming because we're blessed, because we're the most blessed nation on the planet. And, and I think there's a reason for that is because we have deliberately and intentionally been responsible for taking the gospel to the greatest extent of the world. And I think if we will continue to do that, that God will bring blessing. And I think that's probably a reason why His mercy has held back judgment on this nation because of the, the determination of the godly people uh, in this nation to continue to do what we've been doing. Uh, I believe that with all of my heart. Uh, seven holes in the money bag. Number one, the first one is greed. Greed is the love of money. Now, probably the most misquoted verse of Scripture as relates to money is this 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. And you will hear people say, money is the root of all evil. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And how many of you know you don't have to have any of it to love it? Come on. Come on. You, you, you can be poor as Job's turkey, as my granddad used to say. And, and, and you can be greedy. You can be stingy. You can lack generosity. You cannot be a giver in terms of a willingness to share with others that are in need. Uh, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And as a matter of fact, Jesus speaks to this in the very same passage that our, that our series text is found in, Matthew chapter 6. But it's in verse 24 where he says, No man can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. King James says God and mammon. Uh, un until the agricultural revolution historically, when that happened... Uh, we began to produce enough food to live above a subsistence level. And that's when all of the artisans and the craftsmen began to do their things and create things of beauty and things of function and came up with more ideas. And, and because people were actually producing more crops than they would need to eat that year and were storing up some, they began bartering. After the bartering system turned into money, which was usually some kind of precious metal, that, that had contained in it the, the value of whatever that piece of gold was. You know, there was a time in America, as a matter of fact, I have a couple of antiques. One is a $5 silver certificate, which says that upon pay upon the, the bearer on demand $5 in silver. Now, you don't find those anymore because our money has not been backed by hard metal since the 1970s, and that's when inflation went rampant in our country. Okay. Now, I don't want to go political, I don't want to go economic, because this is a church service, but there are some principles that you must realize that if we're going to be faithful to the things of the kingdom of God, there is, there is, there is kind of a blurring of lines. Our, our, our faith is not just about Sunday morning worship, but it will impact how we spend our money and how our politics operates. Okay. Uh, it, it might sound a little bit like Rand Paul here, or, or Ron Paul, I'm sorry, the, the dad, the old guy, uh, but a lot of our problems have happened since the 1970s when we left the gold standard and we no longer have any backing and we're just continuously printing paper money that, that has value and we, we want as many of those Benjamins as we can or those dead presidents as they said a few years ago. Uh, we want to accumulate as much as we can because it has value. It has buying power. It is a medium of exchange. Okay, But Jesus never did say you can't serve money and power. Because it's obvious. Jesus didn't say you can't serve... I mean, he didn't say you can't serve God and power. You can't serve God and sex. 
uh, because all of those are very obvious to us. But this one, there's something unusual about money and wealth. Jesus talked about the deceitfulness of riches and the lust for other things. When he talked about the parable of the soils and all the thorns growing up and choking out the word of God in the thorny ground, and it was riches and the pursuit of wealth and the lust for other things, which tends to bring a great deal of confusion because folks... Uh, it's easy to get deceived to think that you can serve God and money at the same time. We have more sense to think than we can do that with all these other issues of power and sex and those kinds of things. But it's the one thing that Jesus said you cannot serve God and. Money is the only thing he said that about, okay? Because there is a danger to it. Now, just because there's a danger to it does not mean that we throw it all away and that we choose to live in complete abject poverty. You know, cars are dangerous. You can get killed driving one, but you can also learn how to conduct your driving safely and you can use it for something that is beneficial both to you and your family and to the economy and the culture around us. Guns are dangerous, but if you learn how to use them properly, you can kill your food and eat it and you can protect your house when some idiot's trying to break in. Okay, so it's, it's, there, there, are, there are dangers to a lot of things, but because there is a danger to something doesn't mean that we completely swing the pendulum out of balance and we refuse to deal with it altogether. Okay, we learn what the dangers are. We learn to practice safety appropriately. The only problem is, is that we can go to the gun safety class and we can learn how to be a safe driver and we can go to our drive, uh, safe driving class but a lot of times, kids grow up in families and never do really establish safe measures for dealing with their finances. Because parents do what Darren said we shouldn't do, and that is we just basically try to give them everything they ask for. Let, let me just say this, that one of the most difficult things over the years as a dad for me to do was to learn how to say no. Because you want, you want your family to be happy. You want, you want wife to be happy because happy wife, happy life. You want your children to be happy. You want them. Uh, but at the same time, I think there comes a time when a dad who decides that he's going to pay the price and do what it means to be an example, to, to develop personally some financial intelligence. Come on. We, we, we go to school to develop mental intelligence. We hang out with people, hopefully, and develop some social and emotional intelligence, learning how to read people and not be an idiot in a crowd and, and all those kinds of things, making fools out of ourselves. But sometimes we just we, we refuse to talk about these issues. It's, it's almost like, you know, it's like the, the, the man talk in my house. There wasn't one. Dad, dad, dad didn't have, we, we, I didn't get it. I, I learned from boys at school who had the dirty magazines. And that's one of the most, and I love my dad. He's a great man of God. I just think it was he was shy and he was afraid to talk about it. And, and I just think that both these issues of sex and money, we send our kids out into the world and we don't prepare them. And it's like handling fire, putting fire into their bosom, and it will set you on fire in either one of these areas. I grew up, I graduated high school in 1979, and we emerged into Reaganomics, and it was one of the most prosperous periods of our nation in the 1980s and rolling into the 1990s. And credit became exceedingly easy to obtain. You're getting credit card offers in the mail every day. I remember my mom saying, you know, we didn't have this just a few years ago. 
And there was a jump all of a sudden in prosperity in the country, and we were getting opportunities for credit, and everybody, shopping malls are springing up all over the place, and there is this conspicuous consumption that came along with the 1980s. And I'll be honest with you, I made bad decisions. I racked up bills and bills, and I paid for it. And I, you heard me give my testimony last October after sending the very last $500 payment into City, and I got rid of City, and honey, wiped that stuff off, and I'm thrilled. It's different when you can live free from that. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. All right, so number two, number two, misunderstood purpose. Misunderstood purpose. We misunderstand the purpose of money. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Because we have this idea in America that money can provide you everything. And there is nothing that is more typical, that is more of a cliche, than the rich person that is on depression medicine because they have everything that money can buy, but they're not happy on the inside. And so what, what I want you to see is that as wonderful it is as it is to have money, you can have all the stuff and not be happy. And I'm going to tell you, I, I said this this week. I put it up on a Facebook post, and I said I realize that sometimes when we say the phrase, the blessing of the Lord, that people immediately associate that with material things. And though I think there's nothing wrong with that, the, the best, the greatest blessing of God is to have His presence. Because if I have Him, really whether I have stuff or not, it doesn't even matter. But when he blesses you with his favor, both his presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, and his presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, both come with his favor. He blesses you with both. Are you thankful for that? Come on. There is nothing more typical than a multi-million dollar athlete who has had hundreds of millions of dollars of contracts and then ends up having to file bankruptcy because he's totally broke. Mike Tyson... Michael Vick, baseball's Tony Gwynn, ice skating's Dorothy Hamill. We can move from athletics to pop culture. Michael Jackson, who had to hawk, what was it, Wonderland, or what was the name of his, Neverland, Neverland the name of his farm, Madonna, has gone broke several times and come back. <laughs> Burt Reynolds, Don Johnson. I mean, you just Google pop stars, celebrities, who've been multimillionaires and who've gone broke. Let me just say that it's almost like the lottery mentality. Do you know the likelihood of most people winning a hundred, two hundred, three hundred million dollar lottery and then three years from there actually still having any money left over is like less than, it's a single digit percent. Because people have never established financial intelligence about how to handle money. They've never learned how to, to emotionally separate themselves from all of what they think is going to bring them happiness. Don't shout me down, but I'm telling the truth today. Uh, another thing is a misunderstood purpose about work, and that's the idea that has begun to spring up in America here in the last 50, 60 years. That this just, and, and it's literally because the church has sort of had this idea. And, and, and it's this, our view of heaven. We just think that we're going to go to heaven and lay on a cloud and in a big diaper and pluck a three-string harp and... <laughs> Just lay, a ground, lay around and basically get to do everything you couldn't do on earth because everything was a sin. So you can drink wine up there and, you know, you can just be lazy. And, and I, I don't know how people come up with these ridiculous ideas about what heaven's going to be. Because let me tell you, work was given by God two chapters before the curse was pronounced. Work 
is not under the curse. God, God blesses your work. When you labor and do something creatively, you are most like God in the image of God. When you take nothing and you make it something, when, when you come up with a new idea, and it's that old George Washington quote, necessity is the mother of invention, and you give something that brings greater uh, a blessing to this culture and then it blesses you financially, that literally is a kingdom venture. If you guys could begin to see what you do Monday through Friday, 8 to 5 or whatever your hours are and see it as advancing the kingdom of God while you give your time, share your talent and then they give you this treasure called money that it's actually an effort to bless the kingdom of God. I'm reading right now Paul Johnson who's a phenomenal historian. He's a Christian. He's a Roman Catholic He's written numerous books that I have, I've read for years, and it's one called Creators, and he's talking about Johann Sebastian Bach, and he's talking about Vermeer, the artist, and he's talking about Geoffrey Chaucer, the literature, the, the English brilliant genius who, who took a scrambled up language and they gave us English literature. And I'm reading about all these guys and how they labored and how and against all odds and great disabilities and, and, and Beethoven literally playing with a, a piano that was on the ground and several strings broken and he's gone deaf and he had to lay his ear on the piano in order to feel the vibrations to write some of the greatest symphonies that he ever produced. He, he, he did it in the face of all of these difficulties. And, 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 and he, he talked about, Johnson talked about one fellow who was in this beautiful, beautiful street in Paris where we have these great demonstrations of beautiful architecture that are timeless and it was a street sweeper and it was a street sweeper that had a smile on his face and and Johnson stopped for a minute and he said why are you so happy he said you know you're around all of these these great buildings and these great creators and the guy said yes but all of these beautiful streets become filthy and he said I'm a creator too because I take something very dirty and I make a clean street out of it so that you guys can enjoy it and so the guy saw what literally is a menial task and he saw the image of God working through him. He said, no, the Creator lives in me and because He does, I can take something out of order and I can bring disorder into order. I can take chaos and bring it into a place of balance. Come on, are you hearing that? And, 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 and listen, let me just say something to you ladies. If you're at home and you're not at work and you're not part of the workforce and the labor force and, and you're feeling less than because you're at home raising babies, you are advancing the kingdom on the very frontier of it. Uh, every time you change that nasty diaper, you bring order out of chaos and you, you bring peace back into that baby's life. That is a kingdom work. Come on, come on, man. Say amen. All right. Number three, bad teaching. Bad teaching. We have holes in the money bag. Money is being poured out through pockets that have holes in them because we're greedy, because we misunderstand the purpose of money and misunderstand the purpose of work. We've had bad teaching. Listen, all Scripture is inspired by God is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Now, as I show you this this morning, I want you to see that there's a whole spectrum of teaching. And on the left, we're going to bring up the very first one right here. This is one side. This is poverty theology. And this is what my grandparents grew up with. Because they would say, God, you keep him humble. Talking about the preacher in the church of God. You keep him humble and we'll keep him poor. 
And that was the idea in those days, that if, if you were really blessed of the Lord, the presence of God was on you because they had this really skewed, messed up idea about riches. And so what, it, what, what poverty theology does is it ignores all of the blessing scriptures. It pays real attention to the, the scriptures that warn about the dangers of wealth. And then it camps out over here and lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then it ignores all of these others about my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. And, and beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So it ignores all the prosperity scriptures and it preaches and harangues from the pulpit that the blessing of the Lord is on the poor. And so if you've grown up with poverty theology, you have a certain view about money and how you use it. Now, far too often, and this is what happened, I saw this happen in my own life growing up, and that is that many times you get out of one ditch of experience, and instead of getting into a place of the road that leads to life, many times, because we've been so hard in one ditch, we will get up a full head of steam and run over and jump into the ditch on the other side. Give me the one on the right side now. Prosperity theology. And prosperity theology ignores all of those. Like, for example, you don't hear prosperity preachers to, to any degree with any real treatment deal with the rich young ruler who Jesus basically said, give it all, and he went away mad. And what Jesus was doing was the rich young ruler basically said, look, I, I've, I've kept these commandments my whole life. And so Jesus realizes that this rich young ruler, which most churches would put on the deacon board, okay, after all, he's handsome, he's rich, he's young, he's influential, let's, let's give him a, a title. And so he'll give big to the church. And that's the, way, that's the way religion has done this nonsense for so long. And, and so you don't really hear any faithful treatment of this because this guy goes away mad. Because Jesus knew that his money was an idol to him. And he was basically saying, deal with your idolatry and then come follow me. And I don't believe Jesus ever intended to make him poor. That's the way the poverty guys preach it. Okay, I believe Jesus was trying to dislodge from him an idol, a dollar sign that was in his eyes and in his heart. And then give him riches that were greater. And then learned and multiply the material things back to him in the same way that he did with Job. Job started out, lost it all, but then the Bible says, read the rest of Job, he actually ended up with a double portion of what he began with. And if you ever get the Spirit of God moving in your life and finances, you'll always come away more blessed than you did when you got started with the Lord. Come on, somebody. But prosperity theology ignores all the suffering passages. You don't hear any of these guys preach with any real degree of balance on what it means to suffer for the cause of Christ or suffer for the sake of the kingdom of God because they're too busy binding the devil and loosing comfort and peace and all that. And let me just be honest with you. Life happens. We have stuff that we have to suffer through. And we have to suffer in righteousness properly. And so therefore, I, I don't want to hang off on either one of these in the ditch on either side of the road, but the real balance is in the middle and that is not where we say, well, the Bible contradicts itself. I believe that God gives us tension on purpose because there are times in my life where I need to see that He delights in the prosperity of me. He wants to pour out blessing in my life. When I get a little out of whack and I start thinking I'm the one who did all this, then He's going to blow on it a little bit and, and help me recognize that it was Him who gave me the ability. It was He who gave me the idea 
It was he who blessed the business in the first place. Are you hearing me? And really stewardship is a good balance between both because so many times folk always say it's, it's either one or the other. I like the story of the rich young ruler. They will say, well, God never does that. And the, the, the prosperity people say God never does that. The poverty people say God always does that. And let me just give you a real principle here. You will help yourself if you will read the word and learn to never say never or always. Don't say God never and don't say God always because God always maintains this 2% rule. There's an exception every time. Why? Because he cares about us as... He, let me just say this. He cares more about your character than he does about your comfort. Come on, somebody. Don't shout me down, but I'm telling you the truth. All right. Number four. Are you getting anything out of this? Number four, misplaced priorities. 1 Timothy 5.8, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. I was trying to help a person here recently, doesn't go to this church, they're in the community, house full of kids, didn't have a job, and I had a little bit of extra money in my budget to handle some odd jobs around the house that were outside of my purview. I just don't have skills in those areas. I'm sorry that maybe I'm not the perfectly well-rounded leader, but there are just some things I have more sense after having messed it up and then paying more to have a repairman come in and fix it. Let me just tell you, I've done that. Dawn says, thank you for trying, honey, but don't try anymore. Just, go, just call. <laughs> honey, call Danny. That's the commercial on television a few years ago. Um, and so I've got somebody come in and help me do a few things. And literally over the course of about seven days, I helped this person with a good wage. I paid them $10 an hour. We're not talking about specialty stuff. We're talking about climbing up in trees and cutting some limbs and getting on the roof and cleaning gutters and stuff that I, I can't do because the pitch of my roof is and I'm too big. I'm a big old boy, okay? So it's more important for me to keep limbs not broken. And so I'm paying him, trying to help him, and I'm doing it on a daily basis. And uh, I had some events that came up that I couldn't be at the house. And I'll just be honest, I don't know him well. I don't trust him. And so I have to be there. And so I was doing church work from the house and doing study and preparing. And so I was there kind of overseeing what he was doing. And then something came up and I had to be in Memphis. Had some hospital visitation. So I had to cancel that next day. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't be around here. And so he calls me and he's upset and the babies are crying. And he had just told me the day before that he paid his dish bill. Dish as in TV network dish. Doesn't have a job now, okay? And so the next day he says, well, I really needed some work because I've got to buy food. We don't have any food in the house. And I, 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 I just want to go, are you out of your mind? You, you paid a $100 dish bill, but, but you didn't have food for the rest of the week? Now, what, what are, everybody say dollars and cents. Okay, now you're talking about misplaced priorities here. Because it's like you're going to have, you're going to put your money into a bag with holes in it. It's going to leak out of holes in your pockets. When you, when you put entertainment above food for your family, are you serious? And this is one reason why I was so glad that we moved folk having to ask me for help away from me into a group, a team that could handle it. Because I'm soft-hearted and I want to help people. But sometimes I just get up to here. You know, with, with folks who constantly over and over and over and over and over and over need help, and I see them posting pictures on Facebook of their latest 
they're talking about gym memberships and all these different different kinds of things that they're spending big money on and coming to church because they don't have diapers for the babies and food for the kids. And I'm going, okay, something is not connecting here. Y'all still love me this morning? We got to get some common sense about this. We, we got to figure out that, that we are worse than infidels, the Bible says, if we don't take care of our own house. Okay, now I'm not even talking about tithing yet. If you don't have a job, you don't have any reason to tithe. But my goodness, if folks are trying to help you out, let's not worry about the cable bill. Now let's keep some lights on and some food in the refrigerator. We'll worry about dish later when you get you a job, dude. All right, is this too plain? Matthew 6.33, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. If I can learn to be kingdom focused, Jesus basically says you don't have to worry about all this stuff. God will take care of you if you will put your trust in your heart toward him. All right, number five, I want to move quickly. Number five, financial immaturity. Financial immaturity. Um, you, I just read 1 Timothy 5.8 in terms of not taking care of your family. Listen to this one, Proverbs 22.7. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, this was my story. And I've gone through seasons where I've, turned, I've shut cable off. We've, we've, we've shut stuff down in order to be able to pay bills and not have to go through bankruptcy. And let me just say this. Because I haven't had to doesn't make me better than the person who has had to. If you're there and the bottom drops out and you lose your job and and a financial storm hits, sometimes you have to take advantage of and do what you have to do. But my goodness, learn from that one and don't turn around in five years and be in worse shape than you were before you took that out. Are you hearing me this morning? And, and, and the reason that we're in the shape we're in is because we're making the decisions that we make. It's Labor Day weekend and all the furniture stores are, are showing their zero interest, no payments for 12 months. I'd like to have a couple new pieces of furniture right now, but you know what? We're not even going to make that trip. And we're not just going to go, just go walk through and look. Now, now how many of you know that's like walking on the car lot? We're, well, we're just looking. Here come the shark car salesman. It's a feeding frenzy. Because they know if you're going to pull over and come in, that you probably can be pushed into and persuaded into doing something. And how many times have we said, well, you know, it's zero interest and there are not even any payments for 12 months. And, and you know, we can scrimp a little bit and we'll pay it off before the interest rate that's 9,000% hits in 13, in 13 months. I've been there, done that. And, and then I get into it and I go, oh, God. Lord, I need you to bless me. He said, why? Because you didn't listen to me when I told you to wait. And do you know he's been faithful to forgive and to bless? And he's been faithful to put his favor on my labor and help me learn the hard way how to get out of debt. Oh, Lord God, and I have never in my life bought a lottery ticket. Now, I don't know what you think about that. I don't think it's necessarily a sin. Who folks do it as a little entertainment. You, you spend a, a buck once in a while and you just have fun with it, that's fine. But when folks start spending crazy money, you start going down to the casinos and it becomes a bigger habit and all these different kinds of problems and it really is gambling away your life, then that's, that's sinful, okay? But, 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 I, but I think sometimes so often... 
people are looking for a quick fix. And most of the time, when we get a quick fix, it doesn't last because we don't learn the lesson. Are you hearing me? All right, let me just move on. Um, or, or if you're in a place right now where you have so stretched yourself to everything is a minimum payment, do you know that you're, you're going to get that stuff paid off in about 114 years? Literally. So something's got to change. Something has to give. Ed McMahon, interviewed by Larry King. Ed McMahon became a pauper, millionaire, host for The Tonight Show. Larry King interviewed him. He says, well, you know, when you spend more than you make and you keep doing that and you throw in a couple of divorces in there that takes half every time she leaves, says, you know, then, then, then you're probably going to end up with nothing. And so the whole point is we can't keep living and thinking like that. Listen to this. The Bible says, Romans 13, 8, it says, verse 6, pay your taxes too for the same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They're serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Verse 8, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. Now, it's not a sin to use consumer debt, but it can get sinful when you overdo it. Okay, nothing wrong with financing a car. Most people couldn't be in one if they didn't finance it. Certainly nothing wrong with financing a home. 95% of Americans couldn't even live in a home if we didn't have a mortgage and finance it. But there's a right way to handle debt. Come on, somebody. Yeah. All right, two things and I'm finished. Stinginess. Acts 20.35 says, and I have been a constant example, Paul is writing, how you can, I'm sorry, Luke, how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Amen. Proverbs 11.24, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Stinginess is this idea that if I'll hoard it, that I'll have more. But the Bible tells us this. He says, people curse those who hoard their grain. They bless the one who sells in time of need. If you search for good, you will find favor. But if you search for evil, it will find you. Proverbs 28, 22, greedy people try to get rich quick, but don't realize they're headed for poverty. <laughs> Listen, if you, if you can't sleep at night and you're up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you're watching one of those infomercials that guarantees you a million dollars, if you just invest $139.95 with my idea, if, it's, if it sounds too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. Okay, How many times have we seen through this church in 25 years folks selling every kind of of multi-level marketing thing that you could even imagine and end up offending folk, making folk mad because they're trying to call you over to a little secret meeting and tell you sell this, sell that, sell the other, and it's another get-rich-quick scheme. If people would just put that much energy into their main job and show up with a good attitude and ask God to put His favor on their labor, they could probably have what they're hoping to accomplish in their financial lives. Don't shout me down. I know it's the truth anyway. Number seven, last one and we're finished. Let's hopefully sew up the holes in these money bags. The last one is very obvious, and I saved it for last because it really should be the first one in our lives. Number seven, not trusting God. Proverbs chapter 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. Amen. I believe with all of my heart, one more verse and I'm finished. Philippians 4.19, This same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from His glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. All right, hear me this morning. 
seven holes in the money bag. And the prophet is basically saying, look, you've lived in your fine houses and you're not taking care of the house of God. Go up into the hills and cut timber and come back down here and let's take care of God's house. Now, this is not a plea to head us into a new building that is around the corner. Provision of God will be there. I know this is a giving church. Let me just say this from the outset. This is a truly, truly giving church in every kind of way, caring one for another in love, serving each other when folks are sick and taking meals, praying for each other, sharing in finances and giving. This is one of the most giving folks. I, I sit in the ministerial alliance meetings and I hear guys talk about struggling with their budgets and talk about the churches up and down church row where really the wealthy people of the community go and on average they give anywhere from one and a half to about three and a half percent of their income. There is no such thing as tithing in those churches. They don't teach it, don't, and, and therefore they struggle. We say very little about it around here other than just to say, you began to put God first in your finances. You begin to put your trust in the Lord and see what God will do. Amen. This message is not strictly devoted to tithing this morning, and I'm going to devote one of these three messages to that. But today... Lest you think there's any kind of compulsion, if you are not a member of this church, we're not even asking you, and we say it every week, we're not asking you to give in our offering at the, at the end of this service. And this is about worship. You're literally giving God a piece of your life when you do that. The close of this service, and we worship the Lord together. Out of that, we meet needs in the community. We meet needs for people in the church who really are in a desperate situation that have lost their jobs and the lights are going to get turned off if we don't help them, not going to have food on the table if we don't help them. And that's what we're doing because the body of Christ is called to be a community of people who really do have the same care one for another. And it's about reaching the lost in this community and caring about what the gospel can do if we'll put the Lord first. Now, I just want to say this to you today. Really... If you don't have your heart aligned with the things of God, then there's really no way to even see or understand what I'm talking about here. The Bible says where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Now notice it never did say that where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Billy Graham said it this way, and I forgot it today. I didn't realize it was my one thing. Somebody, Dr. Billy Graham says, you really want to show me if you've given your life to God, if you've surrendered to the Lord. He says, show me your calendar and show me your checkbook. Because I want to see what you do with your time Amen. and what you do with your money. Amen. And that's a real indicator of where your heart is. Because where we're putting our time and where we're putting our talent, where we're putting our treasure, really shows where our heart is. Do we have a heart for the things of God? Are we like those folks in the book of Haggai that we're self-consumed and self-absorbed? Or are we remembering the poor in our community? Are we remembering the, the needy? Are we helping those in this church? Are we giving to the things of God and remembering to put the Lord first? Because the Bible says if I would do that, if I would seek first His kingdom and live righteously, that all of these things that I have concern about, shelter over my head, clothes on my back, food in my mouth, for me and for my family, my children, God says... You seek me first, all that's just going to come to you as a matter of course every day, day in, day out. You'll see the blessing of the Lord. So this morning I want to say to you as we close this service today, this Labor Day where we celebrate the hard work of common people, everyday ordinary people, 
I believe every one of those children of Israel could qualify for that category. Moses is preparing them to go in and inherit the promised land that's been described as a land flowing with milk and honey. And he says, when you get over there, remember, do not forget that it is the Lord your God who gave you the power to get wealth. When you get there and it starts stacking up and the blessings start coming, you plant the corn and the crops start coming in, you mine the copper out of those hills and you start to see the blessing of the Lord increase in your life. Remember, do not forget that it is the Lord your God who gives you the power. It's the way Clint said it. I'm thankful for my feet that I can stand up today. I'm thankful that I have breath in my lungs and I'm thankful that I can make a coherent sentence that I can share and you can understand because my mind is working right. I, you know, uh, the, the, the humanist always says, but, but you always give God credit. Why don't you take some credit? Well, it's God who gave me everything that I'm using in order to be able to accomplish that, including the life that I'm now enjoying. He lets me enjoy that, and I'm thankful for that. And so this morning, it all begins with a realignment of a heart, a heart that's dead, but God says, I call you my own and make you alive. You're born again because you put your hope and your trust in me. Every head bowed, every eye closed in the room this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we close this service today, I pray your favor, your blessing upon every man, every woman in this room. We acknowledge how much we need you. Thank you for the stuff that we enjoy in America. But God, we're, we're run over with stuff. Our closets and our drawers in our attics and our outbuildings and our rented storage rooms are bulging with stuff. And sometimes, God, with all of our stuff, we still are empty inside. God, I thank you that you whisper into the heart of the man or the woman sitting under the sound of my voice today who's never invited you into his or her heart. Jesus, be Lord of our lives. Help us get stuff in perspective. Help us know that you are all that matters. That we can't earn enough, make enough money, have enough stuff to stuff down the, 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 the ache, the, the hunger for you until we've met you and we're satisfied with you, oh God. We're tired of planting and harvesting little, of, of, of drinking and still being thirsty, of eating and, and never being filled. God, we ask you to, to touch us today and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us joy in the place of the pursuit of happiness. Anybody under the sound of my voice today, if you've never crossed the line of faith and said, Jesus, be Lord of my life. You can't earn that place. You don't ever deserve it, but it's a free gift. Eternal life is a grace gift that he gives to us. So this morning, if that's you, and you'd say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call anybody to the front. But every head bowed, every eye closed. Slip your